welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat UVA 52-10, and I am pumped about it. Robbie, give us a cheers. My cheers is to the seniors, but in particular, Sam Rogers had himself a day, got engaged, went off in the game. I think it was his dad's birthday as well, and... Uh, it was senior day for him. So my cheers is to Sam Rogers and the seniors. Outstanding what they've done here at Virginia Tech and their maturity with the coaching change. I'm really proud of all of them. Cheers. Oh, boy. That really was an ass whooping we put on UVA this past weekend. And... I, we were both nervous because that's just kind of how we roll going into any game. But it was really unwarranted for this one because we got on top of them after a couple after a couple drives in the first quarter. But by the half, it was 28 to nothing and got as high as 38 to nothing, a score that we're all familiar with from the 2011 game, before UVA even got a field goal. They pulled Evans from the game about halfway through the third. Motley mopped up the rest. 52-10, to 10, the 13th straight win in a row, and that margin, it was the largest one since 05 when we won 52-14, to 14. and from what I found, the second largest ever in the series. We won 48-0 in 1983, but this was the second largest margin at 42 points. I was so thrilled at the result of this game i watched it first down with a bunch of hokey fans and a buddy of mine that's a uva fan and i have to say i started to feel bad for him (laughs) and i i told him at halftime that we could leave and go watch the game somewhere else first down is a hokey bar i was going there so he decided to meet up and i felt really bad bringing him there and having to listen to all of the Hokie cheers and them watch his team get demolished. I mean, he had to be ninety percent sure that's was was how it was going to go. Well, I mean, yeah, not like but not, not getting that killed, extreme. but to <laughs> lose at the very least. That's right. So you said it in your cheers, and the story of this game was definitely Sam Rogers, Gerard Evans, and the offense was tremendous in general, but Sam was really the story. One hundred and five rush yards. Seven yards per attempt, two touchdowns, and then an additional 29 yards receiving. It was the best game of his career, came on senior day, and it was the most yards from scrimmage he's ever had. The second most was in that Ohio State game when he had that long wheel route in 2015. But he never had a 60-yard rushing game before this game, and he went, o- he went over 100. You could see that he was probably going to have a big game, given it was senior day, given how hard he works, and the energy that he would put out there. But I had no idea he was going to be that dominant in the run game. And it just was phenomenal for a guy that's worked so hard in the program. And then racking up two touchdowns, it was it was a story that you would see on TV and you wouldn't really think it's real life. Look at the boy. He was bred for football glory. You remember the way that one's from? Is that uh, Little Giants? That is, that is Spike is that in Little Spike? Giants. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, that is Sam. And you know what? We, we've given him his just due, but you can't say enough about him. And I'm so happy we have him, have had him and will have him for the next game because I think he's going to 
be a big factor for us against Clemson. And I'll detail that a little bit more later. We were pushing UVA's defensive line all over the field, like pushing them right on their butts. And if you looked at the yards per carry as a team, it was over five yards per carry. Everyone but Evans, I think, was over over six yards per carry. DJ Reed dropped like 48 yards on him at the end. Even McMillan, who had a fumble, ended up with like six yards of carry. It was a really, really impressive performance by the O-line, by the entire offense. And Sam was just the cherry on the cake. And you were hoping that, uh, you know, he was going to get a little bit of extra time. I'm sure that's something that Fuente was kind of planning. But depending on how the game would go, he would try to feed him a little bit more. But then it got to the point where that we're beating him by so much, it's like, we got to get him out of there so we can keep him for the ACC title game. That's right. It, it was – you started to worry about keeping people fresh so early in this game and starting to pull, pull starters to make sure that you're in good shape. Gerard Evans had a decent day, 59% uh, completion percentage, two passing touchdowns and another on the ground. You know, most of his stats tracked in line with what, you know, a lot of the stats that we keep internally. The only one that stood out to me that didn't was he went three for eight on passes 10 to 19 yards, which was well below his average. That's been a sweet spot for him, and it wasn't really there in this game. And the receivers did, you know, a ton in this game and a lot after catch. So they were averaging about six yards after catch leading into this game for the year, and they were at a little over eight yards uh, after catch in the game. So we were just stomping all over that defense. It was incredible. 579 total yards for the offense. That was the biggest output of the season. And as I went back and looked, the biggest output in a regular season game since our 605 versus Wake in 2010. So this type of production, 7.15 yards per play, this is not something we've seen very often. So having it against your rival was amazing. And the balance that we showed with 289 yards rushing and 290 yards passing was nearly perfect. Pretty much was perfect balance. I found this is my favorite stat of the game, I think. In the third quarter... We only had three minutes and 29 seconds of possession. We scored 24 points in the third quarter. <laughs> three minutes and 29 seconds, we scored 24 points. Now, one of them was a run back on a defensive touchdown, but I don't care. Three minutes and 29 seconds in the quarter, 24 points. That's incredible. I thought I had a good stat, that, and Cam Phillips went six for six, and that was impressive. His receiving numbers continue to climb, and on – a you know per attempt and actual catches is through the roof this season and I thought that was nice but you just blew me out of the water <laughs> um I want to talk a little bit more about Evans passing day you mentioned that three of eight in his sweet spot and that kind of his accuracy was a little bit in question this game but the production was still there 250 yards the two touchdowns passing another rushing and he did it in two and a half quarters essentially. I mean, he could have put up five, six touchdowns in this game easily. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, the other thing was, you know, Bucky missed the two long passes. I was banging my head against the wall, at least on one of those that he should have had. But then he came back and he caught the third one 
for a touchdown. Yeah. yeah, and that was that was that was tough. the The other part that frustrated me was the fumbles, and yeah, I know man. Peoples got his back. McMillan got to ride the pine for a little bit after his fumble, which also probably influenced how much uh, Rogers got the ball. But we just that we can't, that can't happen in in the game that we're going to talk about later on this episode. Can I give you my fumble stats since we're on the topic? So we lost two more in this game, three total. We've lost 17 fumbles on the year. That's second to last of 128 NCAA FBS teams. University of Louisville is actually last. The 27 fumbles overall is tied for last with Louisville. So no matter how you slice it, we are just the absolute worst at holding on to the ball in all of college football. And that is completely unacceptable. And I don't care what offense you're running. You should never be fumbling the ball. 17 lost fumbles in a season. The month of November for us were minus four in turnover margin, largely because of the fumbles, a couple interceptions. But that minus four in turnover margin in November is the worst month for us in five-plus years and the worst four-game stretch since 2012. Like we're this last month, I mean, if we want to win this Clemson game, like you said – talk about it soon like this is just not going to work the fact that we haven't corrected the problem by now and people on the offense haven't learned or some haven't learned that you're going to ride the pine if you start dropping the ball outside of Drod Evans obviously is really crazy to me that's that should be taking up an hour at least of every day's practice it's just and they're probably doing it and we're still fumbling the ball it needs to get fixed Let's talk about the defense before we uh, do a beer break. And it was dominant against UVA, regardless of who UVA was playing at quarterback, which was becoming comical in the game. Um, only 247 yards allowed. Half of that was nearly just Taekwon Mizzle by itself, uh, by himself. And only 10 points and nine tackles for loss. Motua Puaka, Nigel, Kenakana, Mook, they all had fantastic games. You know, uh, Moto had the return fumble return but that was because mook destroyed the third quarterback that came in the game and had him fumble and uh, nigel two tackles for loss he got a player of the week by the coaching staff on the defensive side so it's good to have him back and fully healthy going into a big matchup as well as a whole they were just outstanding yeah holding uva to third three for 16 on third down great day bud foster was just letting the guys eat on third down and the sack numbers don't show it, but there was a lot of pressure in that backfield. I thought there was a great scheme that he put together. I don't know what the hell Bronco Mendenhall was doing with that QB rotation. It's one thing, and it's largely been proven to not be successful, <laughs> is to alter on, you know, on different series to bring in a new quarterback, depending on the series. He was doing it between downs. I don't even know what that means. Bud Foster couldn't explain it. Kenneth Hannum was asked about it. He said he wanted to, I think it was Ken that said he wanted to actually ask the UVA players at one point what the hell they were doing. Like, not in a mean way, but just to walk over and be like, what, what are you guys trying to do here? And his explanation after the game was even worse about why he was doing it. But... The pass game was generally non-existent for them in the first half. In the second half, you know, there was a little bit that actually drove up their their yards for the game. 
And it was two catches accounted for 67 of their 139 yards in the past game. It was just a fantastic outing. I would have liked to keep it at three points, but 10, I'll take it. Overall, it was just embarrassing for UVA. They were, they looked incompetent. Like it was the idiotic game plan. And it was really encouraging at the same time for VT on both sides of the ball. Still just that little bit of a slow start that I wouldn't want to see. I would have loved to score on our first drive and kind of like maybe put that to bed for a week. But we didn't score on either of our first two drives and even let UVA gain a decent amount of yards on their first drive. Otherwise, I, you know, other than the fumbles and the one additional miss for Joey Sly, though it was from 45 yards, I didn't have any other negatives. I don't really either. I was proud of the team. They came out with an energy and a focus beyond what I would have expected. And it just shows that they they appreciate the importance of this game just as much as the fan base. Obviously, they do. And they came out and they played like rock stars. It was just really fun to watch. And it was it was really fun for it to be on senior day and to watch those guys go out in, in style for the regular season. Absolutely. And because it was such a big lead, you know, all of the seniors pretty much got to get in there. I mean, Motley got his touchdown pass. We saw we saw a number of guys in there, you know, getting getting some snaps that they wouldn't normally have gotten if we were playing someone that was worth a damn. Let's just take a step up to the big picture here and just talk about what it means for Fuente winning the Coastal in his first year as head coach at Virginia Tech and also winning ACC Coach of the Year, uh, which was voted on, I guess, just I think this came across yesterday. Uh, A really great accomplishment for Coach Fuente and not that we didn't expect him to be good, but a small part of me didn't quite expect to win the Coastal this year, but I did see it as a decent possibility. I think it's fantastic in its own right, but the year at a high level, one, it ended up 9-3, and three, and in a way that neither you nor I expected, because we got there a weird way. You you went to 9-3 and three earlier than I did. I moved up to 9-3 and three once I saw what Gerard Evans was able to do. But the bigger picture is he came in and he just has an attitude that gets people to buy into his program, excites the hell out of me. Two, he brought in a JUCO quarterback who far exceeded expectations for this year. There's no way anybody out there expected for Gerard Evans to do what he did this year. And it just builds on Justin Fuente's, I guess, um, reputation for finding quarterbacks that may be underappreciated or, you know, are, are, may not be, you know, the top five blue chippers and turning them into something that's special. He can identify talent and he knows what he can work with. That's exciting for the longevity of the program as well. It really is. I mean, bringing in Gerard Evans and having him work out so amazingly well, like we wouldn't, we would not have seven wins without Gerard Evans. I mean, we we would get to six, I think, I think with Motley, maybe seven, but um, just, yeah, his evaluation, knowing that playing at a level that's way below D1 and knowing that he can probably do it at your level and putting a lot on that, 
and having it come through just shows you like he is the QB evaluator and hopefully the overall talent evaluator that we thought he was. Let's take a quick beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking over there? So I am drinking Keith, one of our listeners, obviously an awesome guy. We've never met in person, but must be because he sent us a couple beers, sent me a couple beers. We are in different cities, so it's a little difficult to, to, to have somebody get them in the hands of both of us, but sent me couple beers from North Carolina. This one is from Charlotte, North Carolina. So we're going to give some more love down to North Carolina. It's the Noda Brewing Company, Hop Drop and Roll. It's good. It's more of a West Coast style IPA, which is on the can, so not really a surprise. But it has a, a nice bite to it. It It is a different shakeup, depending on what you are used to drinking. And I like it. It's a nice change. Um, I can't put my finger on it. I think it's got a lot of kind of juicy hop flavor into it. And I like it. I like it. It's it's good. It won't be my favorite beer in the world, but it's definitely in the top uh, 25, I would say, percentile of the beers that I've, I've drank. And hat tip to uh, Keith for shooting these off to us because we always appreciate stuff like that. And Everybody that listens to this is awesome, and they've, they've shown it hokey through and through. Yeah, thanks a lot for sending those up, Keith. I'm drinking a very fitting beer. It's the Killer Kolsch by Champion Brewing Company out of Charlottesville. And for a number of reasons, this is fitting. The Killer Kolsch, because we killed UVA, who's also from Charlottesville, and Champion Brewing Company, as we are the champions of the Coastal Division. And I was excited when I when I bought this beer just for, for those reasons alone, but it's a, it's a very good Kolsch style beer. It's a little bit bitter at your first sip, but it's ultimately a, a nice finish, 5% alcohol. I've had this before on draft at a, at a beer bar in Philadelphia. So it definitely has decent distribution. Um, the killer Kolsch by champion. All right, Robbie, let's talk about this, this big, big game we have coming up. This We're here. Is, We're yeah, here. We I made it. I can't believe it, man. <laughs> this team is super scary and talented. I mean, compared to all the teams we previewed, I would liken it to Tennessee in the in the way that Tennessee was at the beginning of the year without all their inju- injuries and defections and just general fuckery. <laughs> but but uh, you dropped it this time, not me. <laughs> sorry, but. Uh, but this this team is is talented and they're well coached as opposed to Tennessee. They are missing that coaching aspect. There's a lot of different ways we can look at this game. I like the spot that we're coming in at, being a ten point underdog. You know, we're not getting as much respect in the committee rankings as maybe we should, and we usually feed off that. We just had a couple of guys who were snubbed from all ACC teams, including our quarterback Gerard Evans, who. I felt should have made one of the three teams, but was left off all of them. Let me put the talent of Clemson into perspective. Just even if you don't believe in the ACC, the all ACC uh, voting, we had one first team player who was Woody Barron. Clemson had nine, nine guys on the first team all ACC. None of which were kickers. <laughs> There's two <laughs> kickers on the All ACC team, so I think it was 
out of 24, because I didn't include the kickers, which would be 26. So out of 24 positions on the first team, Clemson occupied nine of them. So over a third. Well, we also know, I do give uh, a lot of credit to the, the people that are able to just take those and throw them in the, the trash can because they're all voted on by media members and you're obviously going to gravitate towards who the top flight program is in the conference and notice those players a lot more than everybody else. But that's a lot. That's a lot of good talent. It is, especially when you consider they have five more on the second team. Tech has two on the second team. So so we're talking about 14 to three, first and second team, all ACC. Now we do have six on the third team and they have none, but you can see the talent discrepancy and, and just you know the skill of their players' discrepancy in general. There, there's a reason they're the number four team, number three team in the country, depending on what ranking you look at. They're eleven and one, well coached by Dabo Sweeney, who since 2011 has an 84 percent winning percentage. Their offense is eighth in the S and P. Their defense is sixth in the S and P. They're a top notch team in every way, but at the same time. Don't you kind of think they they kind of look like that Florida State team that looked awful in the playoffs two years ago? They they are there's no doubting the talent on their roster. Let's put that out there, but they haven't until recently put it together in their games. Early on in the season, it wasn't all coming together and clicking in the way that you would have thought, especially with the hype of what Watson was going to do this year. I mean, he had a great year, but it was not what people might have expected coming out of last year. So, yeah, I think it's there's a lot of similarities there between those two two programs in, in different time frames, obviously. The Dabo and, and Fuente is actually interesting in a lot of ways because they have a decent relationship with each other. They talk to each other on the phone sometimes, you know, text message. It was said that Dabo sent a text message to to Fuente after he got the coaching job at Memphis and, you know, congratulated on him. There was rumors back in the day that, you know, Fuente coming out of TCU could have ended up as the offensive coordinator at Clemson. So there's a lot there's a lot here. That's interesting. I hadn't heard all that. The Florida State reference was simply because Clemson was I think you know why, but just for our listeners, that Clemson has played some games that were closer than people thought they would have been. And that year, Florida State kept escaping. And then once they played Oregon, they just looked terrible. Now, if Clemson makes the playoffs and plays Bama as the four seed or or even Ohio State as the three seed or whoever they may play, maybe they would get exposed like that. I think they're better than that Florida State team, but I do think there were some similarities. The Deshaun Watson thing, you know, you mentioned how he maybe didn't live up to the preseason expectations. It just goes to show you how high those expectations were because his numbers and what he's done is extremely, extremely impressive. And yet still, he's not the front runner for the Heisman. And it's, it's, it, people are disappointed. And that's kind of shocking. It's the same way that Ohio State, after they won the national championship, was you know the the all round favorite to to do it again the next year. Everybody picked them to be number one. It's it's really hard to keep up that level of 
elitism, uh, you know, and that's not the right word, but that talent level when that performance level is probably the right way to put it. It's hard to do it and replicate it, you know, multiple years in a row because there's more expectation. You got the limelight and he's had a fantastic year. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to put down what he's done this year, but coming into the year. No, I didn't think so. Yeah, I I agree. I I was more agreeing with you that like Mm -hmm. for the large amount of people, like when you when you come so close to essentially winning the Heisman the year before, just like Christian McCaffrey dealt with this year too, because his year ended up being awesome, and it, it just it's so hard because people expect you to exceed because you're a year more in the program and you're a year more seasoned, and like just doing those numbers once is so nearly impossible. Let's talk about those numbers. Their offense in general over 500 yards per game. 568 yards per game in November. So they're actually getting better. And Watson himself, 68% completion percentage if you're rounding up. that That's insanely accurate. 34 touchdowns, 14 picks, which is one of his drawbacks, and a 153 rating and 80 QBR, which are the actually two lowest efficiency metrics for his entire career of any season. So while he's still putting up numbers – the reason maybe he's not up for all the awards he was before is because some of his efficiency has dropped. Yeah. The efficiency and the, the, the rush for him, his run game is not what it was last year. So I think he's at, I didn't write this one down, so I'll probably screw it up, but I think he's at like 450 yards or near 500 yards versus, you know, what he had last year. And I think that's been a big difference maker. It also shows a level of maturity because as I pulled it, and you may have pulled it at a different time, I had most of ours are advanced stats when we pull them. I had them as the number six offense in advanced stats, and passing is number nine, and their rushing is number thirty-two. So the 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 drawback for him has been what is shown up on paper, which is you know less rushing yards this year, but what seems to have happened is because he's become a better passing quarterback in my mind and he's more dangerous on that front you're right I think he has improved and definitely over the last four games I mean he has nearly a 90 QBR over the last four game stretch and 168 rating so maybe he was struggling a little earlier in the season but lately he has been killing it and against Pitt the game that he lost and you could definitely put that on him because of the interceptions. He had 580 yards passing. I, I couldn't even believe that when I saw it. And 70 pass attempts, which also, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback throw 70 times like or read a box score where the quarterback threw 70 times, but nearly 600 yards passing in a game, his arm had to hurt after that. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he had to ice it down. And just one <laughs> more point, we're not going to hit on it too long, but... When you're passing that much, it also changes what the defense is doing to you. So they're gonna they're gonna protect the backfield a little bit more. So your passer rating you think would go down because now they're not as scared of the run. So that also feeds into it. The fact is is that he's becoming a more mature quarterback and some ways for maybe for Clemson's dictating it, but it's also going to benefit him if he were to go to the the next level and, and want to succeed is to have that pocket presence and be able to pass that way. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Really, when it comes like take all the stats and look at them and digest them any way you want, whether it's worse or better than last year, 
he is an amazing player. And because of the weapons that he has, it's going to make it so, so difficult to keep them under 30 points. Wayne Gallman at running back is a stud, six foot, two ten, prototypical size. He's done it year after year, 943 yards this year, over five yards a carry, about one catch a game out of the backfield. They don't need him out of the backfield because they have so many weapons at wide receiver. And the number one guy who I'm curious is, I guess it's going to be face on. That's going to be covering Mike Williams, but Williams is unreal. Nearly 80 catches, over 1,100 yards already, 14 yards per catch, and 10 touchdowns. I Brandon's going to have a tough day. That's all I can <laughs> say about that. It's We'll see what he can do with his experience. He's been through a lot of ups and downs. He's had a lot of reps at this point, and he's looked good this year, but he hasn't been a standout, really, overall in terms of stats or... And sometimes you don't want to be a standout in the secondary, obviously. But Mike Williams is a really talented wide receiver, and that's going to be a tough, tough, you know, tough coverage for him. Artavius Scott, he's he's another one to look for. He also does kick returns, and has done really well in that. And then a name that popped up to me that you don't hear as much when you hear about. Every one of all those people that you talk about on the all ACC teams is uh, Deion Kane with nine touchdowns this yeah. year. I thought, you know, Mike Williams has 10. So, you know, another name to watch for in this that we're going to have to worry about, but it's a very talented wide receiving core. Yeah. Deion Kane scares me. He's 18.4 yards per reception. And so he's got the nine touchdowns. He only has 30 receptions. So every third catch is a touchdown. It's That's kind of scary. Um, and whenever I see his name, I think of Dean Kane, uh, the, <laughs> the guy who played Superman. Um, their t- tight end Jordan Leggett is not another guy we're going to have to worry about. He's 6'5", 260, but is somehow averaging 17 yards per catch. I, I don't know how that's possible. That must mean that this kid can move, but... 260? He's got a motor. He's got a motor (laughs) attached to his legs. The only way that you can put somebody of that size that far out that often. Another one of their all ACC guys. Um, Their O line is very good. Three all ACC first teamers on the O line. 17th in tackles for loss, 16th in sacks. So they don't let you get in their backfield. They don't let you get to the quarterback. Um,. That might be the scariest part of this team is their O-line is very, very solid. And at least in the matchup against us where Bud Foster likes to disrupt, whether it's on third down or otherwise, they could really inhibit the ability of us to do that. I know, man. And I do think that I'm looking at their schedule and who they faced in terms of a defensive line. I mean, they played Auburn early in the year. They have a very stout D. Um, we know that, that Pitt has Ewan Price, uh, it might just be Juan Price, but regardless, you know who I'm talking about from Pitt and Pitt beat them. I, I, Watson still went off that day, but did have the three picks. I just don't know if they've seen as solid and as deep a defensive line as we're going to show them. And I, and I'm not trying to, you know, be too much of a homer, but I just think that's a fact. I don't, I don't know that they've seen as many D lines as we can put out there. I, I don't think. 
Louisville has our type of defensive line. I think it's a good defense overall. They've got a lot of playmakers, but not the D-line as a whole that we have. Yeah, at least not at the defensive tackle. I think Bud Foster is going to rotate guys in and out and keep them fresh and just try and push around that interior you know, on the on the offensive line, that's our best bet is just to wear them down because their talent is exceptional. What we have is a lot of depth, at least at that particular defensive end might be a little different story, although it seems to be getting better on the defensive end side, a lot better than yeah. we expected this year. But if we can push them in the center, then I think that's going to be meaningful. I want to go over what, what I think we're going to have to do to win on each side of the ball at the end, but let's talk about their defense. And it's the best by far of what we've faced. It's super athletic, powerful, fast. If you've watched any of their games and you just see their defensive line going at it, it's it's kind of like a sight to see. One of their studs is true freshman Dexter Lawrence, who is five-star coming out of high school, number two overall recruit behind Rashawn Gary, a guy who we recruited heavily. He's 6'5", 340. He's 19 years old. I'm not sure how that's possible. But fourth on the team in tackles as a as a defensive as a defensive tackle. He has 54 tackles. Seven tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, five hurries. The kid is unbelievable. He does have a lot of good players around him. Uh, Wilkins and Watkins. Uh, <laughs> Christian and Carlos. Yeah. Their whole their defensive tackles are insane. I am very, very worried about their defense. They are exceptional. And when they come out to play, they can damage a lot of teams. I hate to say this, but I feel we may come out and have an awesome day and feel good about ourselves and get Rodgers going, get Peoples going, McMillan gets going. But I feel as though they're going to shut down our run game. And... That that's what it that's seems like. Yeah, exactly. Well, and if we have if it's just a pass attack, you know, a passing game, we're gonna be we're gonna be in some trouble here. That that really worries me. I think my my takeaway from this because I can go through a laundry list of people. Their linebackers are ridiculous, just like you mentioned. Their defensive line is ridiculous. If we're gonna have a day. I think they're going to be able to cover, you know, our big three if we want to call them that now. Probably Bucky Hodges is our best bet at getting a nice kind of, you know, matchup that doesn't go well for them. But we're going to have to bring in Carroll, who's been playing really well this year, exceptionally well. If I've looked at his stats on catches and things like that, he is probably the because it hasn't been meaningful or like in terms of stats that big of a deal he's played very well this year murphy is starting to kind of get his feet underneath him and starting to produce and the cunningham plays if we actually end up in the red zone we're gonna have to take that three and turn it into to six or seven wide receivers in order to really damage this defense because up front they are extremely stout they are. They really are. They're a little susceptible, I would think, at defensive end. They've got Cleland Farrell, another freshman, and uh, he's he's a good player. But their defensive ends, I guess, would be the weakest position on this defense. It's you know you're you're 
you're really picking nits here to find find a weakness because the front seven is solid. The linebacker position with Ben Bowler heading up that group, it it's a scary group and just so athletic. I um, you look for weaknesses, and I actually think their DBs we haven't even talked about yet are the, are the strongest group of the entire crew. I mean, their safeties Van Smith and Jadar Johnson. They're both putting up crazy numbers. Smith has 58 solo tackles and five tackles for loss at strong safety. And Johnson, he's first team all ACC, I'm pretty sure. Five interceptions and seven pass breakups. Their corners also putting up pass breakup numbers. Like They all just make it so difficult to pass on this team. And then we're worried about that not being able to get the run game going. It's, it's a scary proposition. Yeah. We don't have the power running game that Pitt had, and that's the only team that beat them. And we don't have Lamar Jackson. Now, I do think that Evans' running ability is where we're going to have to start in this game and go from there. But, man, oh, man, is this defense talented. Yeah, I think it's going to be about how well – Fuente, I trust, to put together a good scheme. It's going to be how well we stretch them horizontally in this game. That's mm-hmm. that's going mm-hmm. to change everything. If Fuente – Really, which he will, and I'm I'm being facetious here, but if he spends this week with Brad and figures out a way to stretch this team and tire him out sideline to sideline, that is the way that we can be successful in offense. If we try and go just vertical, whether it's passing, not running, et cetera, that's not that is not going to work in this game. So I, I believe in, in Fuente's ability to scheme a team. And I think what Fuente knows how to do in stretching it sideline to sideline and then taking his shots is the key to beating this team. And so in some ways, I I do feel like if you were going to make up a scheme and a style of offense, you don't want to go straight up pro style against Clemson. That's not going to be effective. What Fuente does in, in some of the way he spreads the field and the way he runs with his quarterback that's how you can beat Clemson. That's the only way you can beat Clemson's defense. Let's move to the keys to the game. I, 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 sit, I mean, I've touched on it a little bit, but I mean, we both know we have to take care of the football. That's that's obviously number one. Run with Gerard, and I think you mentioned the three more like auxiliary guys, but Sam and Bucky in this game to me, that's the way. We need to attack this team. Kind of like putting them right outside the offensive lineman and maybe doing some things. Using Bucky more as a tight end and Sam more as a tight end in this game as well. If you looked at what Pitt did, Scott Orndoff went off huge against this team. He had nine catches, 128 yards, multiple touchdowns against Clemson. They're, you know, Pitt's stud tight end. We're going to have to get production from guys in that role, whether it be Peoples or Rogers or Bucky, we need those cutting routes, kind of like the touchdowns we scored against Syracuse with Bucky, things like that to win this game. And I think that Sam and Bucky will have a huge role in whatever we do. And defensively, I think you'd probably agree, we need to shut down their running game, whether it's Watson or Gallman first. Agree. And the only thing I would add to what you said, all of it is spot on, is peoples can do a lot for us too. If we can rotate peoples 
we basically have two fullbacks right now running <laughs> going in as running backs in the way that they've been schemed. We need Peoples and Rodgers, and they're both tough guys to try and wear down that defensive line. And I think they can do it, especially if Rodgers runs the way that he did in this last game. And even Peoples has been running pretty hard as well. So I would add Peoples to that trio. If those two can find a way to to really kind of run hard, get some damage, and wear down that defense, it'll help us. No, I I totally agree with that. Hopefully we can just play – we can kind of lead them into our strength, which is our pass defense, and we can kind of pull them away from their strength, which is more of their pass defense but just their entire defense. Um, If we can shut down their run and we can just run a little, we will have a great chance to win the game. Let's take a beer break before we do our picks. So you're up, Pete. What are you drinking? Well, I am drinking something that – You've probably had many times, listeners and Robbie, the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale comes with the green label. A lot of people are familiar with it. It's it's your standard pale ale, and not everyone is a huge fan of what Sierra Nevada does, but they've been around a long time, one of the original quote-unquote craft breweries, and I enjoy what they do. Their beer camp series I always enjoy every summer, and I've been to a couple of their events, and this pale ale, they actually on the back of the label, I never knew this before, but they brew in Chico, California, home of Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Rodgers for that matter, and as well as Mills <laughs> River, North Carolina. So they have a North Carolina presence as well, which is nice. It's not too far from Blacksburg. The pale ale is it's solid. It's solid as hell. It's just a really nice, smooth, well-balanced pale ale. And uh, after the more bitter-slash-sour killer Kolsch, I'm enjoying it very much. Robbie, what do you have? So another one from Keith, one of our listeners that sent it in. Sent a couple beers up this way. This one's the Baby Maker. And I have to say the labels on both of these beers are fantastic. And I know nobody really cares about that, but I kind of do. It's a nice style. Looks good. It's from Triple C Brewing Company. It's also out of Charlotte, North Carolina. It's 8.5% alcohol by volume, and it's a very different beer than the original one. The original one was a little bit fruitier. This one's a double IPA. It's got a nice bite to it. I actually, I enjoy it. It It's very, very hoppy. So if you're going to get into it, then you better be kind of a hop head. And overall, it has, it has good flavor to it. It's It's hard to describe. It's very different than most double IPAs that I have that usually, compared to a regular IPA, you know, have that kind of alcoholic, you know, just kind of depth to it. This one's actually a little bit lighter, it feels like. Um, And it has, you can taste the malt in it, but it's not too much. Overall, I think it's a, a really good beer and it's very unique is the best way that I can put it. I haven't had a double IPA like this in a long while, and I drink a lot of IPAs. My sister, who listens to every podcast, actually asked me over Thanksgiving, is Robbie ever going to drink something other than an IPA? (laughs) I do. Oftentimes, I do. Right now, on tap in my basement, I have Hogarden down there, which is nothing unique except I had to buy a new tap system for it. I have an Oktoberfest, and then I have the Deschutes Fresh Squeezed because it's one of my 
it's one of my favorites. I think it's a great beer. But it really this is, is a good go-to. Yeah, this is uh, this is actually really good. And thanks again to Keith for sending these up to us. We really appreciate it. And we encourage all of our listeners to send us beer suggestions. Now, sending us beer suggestions over Twitter or email is great. But Keith taking it to the next level and mailing it to your house, that is, that's some real dedicated listener right there. And if you, anyone wants to do that, we will happily send our address. Just email us. It's 2DVT at gmail.com. We'll send the addresses out, and you can ship us whatever beer you like. Thanks again, Keith. I'll send you a PayPal back for the cost <laughs> of the beer just because some of these beers we can't get that people are suggesting right. in stores near us. So if you want to send us beer... Tell us how much it costs. I'll PayPal you back, and we'll call it a day because some things you can't get local. All right, let's pick these games, and we're going to start with our game. Number three, Clemson, is a 10-point favorite against the newly ranked Virginia Tech Hokies, who are at 23. Robbie, I'm going to take the Hokies. I do think Clemson is an extremely good team. <clears throat> and they might end up getting the win, but I think we are going to keep it close. And this line started, I think, around eight and a half and has moved to ten. I think it even went as high as ten and a half. We'll see what how it shakes out at, over the week. But right now, we're going to pick it at ten as Clemson is the favorite. And I like Tech. I think. Well, I'm in. I'm in trouble here because you're beating me so bad in picks. You got six or four above me, six above me. We're both having a decent year, right around fifty percent compared to my last year. I'm I'm going to have to take Clemson mostly because oh. more often than not, when I take the opposite team, Virginia Tech does better. So I'm a superstitious guy. It's stupid. It's irrelevant. But when it comes to Virginia Tech games, I'm going to do whatever I can to help the Hokies win. So I'm going to take Clemson here to cover. And I think we all know what I'm hoping is going to happen in that game. Yeah. I, you know, just to put a final analysis while we're doing this pick, I, I just think if we can, if we can get outside in the run game, just a little bit to start, maybe do a little bit of the more bruising back with peoples and Rogers, and then let Gerard pick his spots running the ball. We need to have some kind of running presence. I think Gerard will, will more than do that for us. But we need someone else to get some yards. Yeah, and then, that – go ahead. And, and then let our receivers do their thing because eventually they're going to get open. No matter how good this any secondary has been, Ford will get open, Phillips will get open, Hodges will get open, so on and so forth. Let them do their thing. And if we can have any semblance of a running game, then everything else starts to come together, particularly on the outside running game because I do think there's a little bit of a weakness with their ends. This is one of those weeks – and he doesn't have a month to prepare for it this time. But you give Bud Foster a lot of concentration and a lot of time, and I think he's going to come up with something unique for Clemson. And I hope he pulls something out of his back pocket that they haven't seen yet, and it disrupts him. Yeah, that's something we didn't really talk about, but you're absolutely right. Bud, against the big opponents, tends to throw a wrinkle that they haven't seen before. Let's pick the rest of these games before we give our, our sign-off. Washington against Colorado. Washington is number four. Colorado is number eight for the Pac-12 championship. And Washington is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Robbie, who you got? 
This is a tough one because we were just talking about the Colorado Michigan game earlier, and they they obviously you know lost one of their key players in in that game, and it was close leading up to that. In fact, Colorado was winning. I think Washington, knowing that they have a chance to get in, is going to find a way to pull this out. But the Buffs are a great team, and no disrespect to them because they've pulled a fantastic turnaround on that program. Hat tip to them, but I think Washington's going to take a shot at getting into the playoff. So you you like them to also cover the spread? Yes. All right, I'm taking the Buffs against that 7.5. I just think this is going to be a really tight game. Next game is Temple against Navy. This is in Annapolis, and Navy is a three-point favorite in the rank number 19. I like Temple. I think their defensive game is, is, is very strong, and based on Matt Rule's background as a linebacker at Penn State and now the coach of Temple, I think he's going to come up with something to stop that triple option, and I like them to cover those three points against Navy. I also have to go opposite of you just to have a chance at winning. So yeah, that's but what's going to happen, isn't it? I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the service academies on this one. So we're going to go Navy on my side. All right. Next game is Oklahoma state against Oklahoma. Oklahoma is number nine. Oklahoma state is number 10 and Oklahoma is an 11 point favorite. I'm taking okay state. They should really only have one loss due to the central Michigan fiasco. And I just think Bedlam is always a little funky. I'm going to take Oklahoma State to cover those 11 points. I'm going to go Oklahoma. I think that my initial read of this is exactly the same as yours, is that it should be Oklahoma State, at least to to cover. But Oklahoma, in this spot, they're playing, they're playing extremely well in the last kind of four to five games. A and lot the game is than, in Norman. Right. So I think I'm going to go Oklahoma on this one. All right, next game, SEC Championship, Alabama against Florida. Alabama's number one, Florida's number 15, and Florida should probably be lower. Alabama's a 24-point favorite in a championship game, and I'm taking them. Robbie, what do you got? I'm torn because I've gone against Alabama. If I if I go Florida, I know I'm going to end up – End up losing, and if I go Alabama, no matter what I pick, I'm going to lose here because I've gone against Alabama almost in every game this year. I'm not flipping. I'm going to go Florida. Florida stinks. Their offense is terrible. Their defense is very good, and I hate myself for doing this, but I'm going to do Florida just to continue going down with the ship because if I can go, I guess this would be 0 for 5 against Alabama, I think, on this year if I look back at the stats. Screw it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go Florida, and I think that they are a terrible team. It is It is a ton of points, and they do have a good defense, so I'm not ruling it out. It's just it's hard to go against Bama. Final game we're going to pick is the Big Ten Championship. Wisconsin against the Nittany Lions of Penn State, uh, my childhood team and the school that both my sisters and mother went to. Wisconsin is number six. Penn State is number seven. And Wisconsin – is a two-and-a-half-point favorite over those Nittany Lions. I like Penn State. Trace McSorley might be the most underrated quarterback in the country, but definitely in the Big Ten. He is has a great long ball, and 
Saquon Barkley, a running back for Penn State, has been great. The Wisconsin quarterback situation is a little bit funky right now. I think Hornibrook has an injury. Um, so I'm going to take Penn State. And if they win and we beat Clemson, they're probably in the playoff. Rob, who do you take? Wisconsin. And this is partially just because I have to go opposite to you to have a chance at this. But also because Wisconsin def- defense has been fantastic this year. And I think this is going to be a low-scoring affair. I think that they can cover, what is it, two and a half that you have? I have yep. two and a half. I think they can cover that. The, the QB situation does, does not make me feel good about this pick, but the defense on their side, all else equal, the spread probably would have been wider, I'm assuming, if there wasn't questions at quarterback, but I'm going to go Wisconsin. Okay, that's it for the picks. Man, I I can't believe we're in the ACC title game. You know, we should act like we've been there before because it's been what five times we've already been there. But it just feels so good after going six and six three of the last four seasons, and eight and four with an embarrassing bowl loss in the only other season. And the nice thing is too, and I think you'd agree with this: is there's a lot of pressure on Clemson because if they win, they're in the playoff, and if they lose, they're not probably. And there's no pressure on us. Zero and pressure on Virginia Tech. What, what's it, ma- what's it matter? <laughs> what's it matter if we lose? If it's a blowout, it doesn't. We're already at number twenty-three in the in the in the poll. So, or I should say, in the the playoff committee's rankings. So, what's it matter? Go out there, play, have fun, see what you can do, see what you can put up against Clemson. There is literally this is going to be beyond. More than Notre Dame, this is going to be the most stress-free game. If it's close, of course I'm going to freak out because I'm going to hope that we win. But going into it, I don't have a care in the world. A win would be absolutely incredible and would put VT firmly back in the national conversation going forward. And I imagine it would also help our recruiting immensely. I want to win this game Desperately. But at the same time, I'm with you in that I'm going to try to view it as stress-free as possible because unlike earlier in the season when people would say Tech is playing with house money, literally now we're playing with house money because if you lose, it's fine because I've already won that money in a sense. Um, I just – I really want to win, and I think it's very possible. As much as we're talking up Clemson and how talented they are, it's a very winnable game. The spot for Virginia Tech is just as important as the talent discrepancy, in my opinion. Now, you bring up a good point, and in retrospect, as we've gone through this podcast, I know we talked up Clemson a lot, but I think that this could be a very close game, if not Virginia Tech pulling it out because – there's no there's no pressure on them. There's no, there's there's they can go out and play. The seniors can go out and do their thing. Rogers can go out and be engaged and find a way to <laughs> to <laughs> be engaged to, to, in multiple ways. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a great spot for us to be in because all we have is the potential to win, and all we have is national media talking about every podcast I've listened to, and I know we're running on too long, has said when it's Clemson wins the national champion or when Clemson wins the ACC championship. I love that. 
that's great. Yeah. When they win it, when they win it until they don't. There's only been a couple people on various podcasts or national media that have given us a chance. I think Jesse Palmer gave us a good chance. Ty Hildenbrand on the solid verbal gave us a decent shot. And a, a lot of, and I think uh, Feldman and Mandel were saying like, this could be a shootout. And to me, if we're going to win or the way the game's going to go, I don't think it's going to be a shootout. I think more of it would be Bud Foster Most, ends up shutting them down. Low scoring. It, it would right, be low like, scoring. It would be like 21-20, which I wouldn't classify as a shootout. And and that's that's what my feeling is. If, if Tech's going to win, it's going to be a Bud Foster performance and a defensive performance for the ages to shut down all those playmakers they have. And then Evans doing just enough, as he always does in a tough spot, to win the game. And also, no turnovers. <laughs> that's that's basically what needs to happen. If you want to hit us on Twitter, it's at 2DVT. Gmail, I said it before, 2DVT at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes and write us a review if you feel like it. And also, if you feel like it, mail us some beer, because uh, Robbie very much enjoyed the two he had tonight. And we're also on Untapped, so if you want to jump on there and and you know join up with us, we all love beer. Until next week when we are recapping the epic game against Clemson, go Hokies. <laughs>